0: Yo, what's up, everybody? This is Bobby Moore, a Yankees fucking lover, Jersey-bred East Coast motherfucker. And this is Adam Simmons. I am also all of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're listening to fucking New Hampshire's fucking finest. Shit happens when you party naked. Yeah, man. It's a DIY couples therapy on crack, bitch. Hey, I see you, Randy. You ain't low. Boston sucks. Shout out to y'all, though. Low voice, I was in the crib when my balls dropped Earthquake when they hit, where they split rocks Not my girl's hotter than that summer asphalt If she turn me down, God knows that it's her loss
1: Alright everybody, welcome to Shit Happens When You Party Naked I appreciate everybody listening to this fine audio programming I'm your host, Jason Almy. I'm joined by my wife, Christina Almy. What's going on, baby? Hey Hey I'm pretty proud of my wife too. She's becoming quite the little podcaster these days. Mm-hmm. Aren't you, baby?
2: Yeah, I'm getting in some practice.
1: Yeah, you got in some practice the other night. yes So, um, something else you might need to know about my wife is that she loves reality TV.
2: Fucking love it.
1: Quite a bit more than I believe a human being should <laughs> love reality TV.
2: I don't think that's true.
1: I think it's true. It's I don't very think it's true. Yeah, it's it's tough for me not to judge your love of reality TV because you'll fucking watch anything.
2: Yeah, I do. I enjoy it a lot. I can get into most any reality TV.
1: Most any reality. I, I completely agree with that. And I think that you probably should drop the most. I think you can just get into any reality TV. What's the worst reality TV you've ever seen?
2: Mm. Oh, I can't even think of what it is. The one, you know, You know I... I haven't seen a lot of it and didn't have sound because I was at the gym and um, I couldn't get the sound to work. But there's a show where um, there's a male and a female on an island and they're naked. And the name of the show is like, I'm like...
1: Naked and Afraid? Yes. Okay. I've heard of that one. I've never seen it, but I've heard of it.
2: Yeah. And And so I was watching a little bit of it and it just looks... I just don't know why you'd want to do that. At all. And so, of course, the male shows up and he has, you know, he's, he, co- he has a thing to cover up his, his penis and balls. The female... Like a little leaf? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. a little that. leaf. Yeah. And the female has her vajayjay covered up, but her boobs are out. Like yeah. nothing to cover up the boobs. So it's like, hey, you know, the male gets to cover up his his package. Yeah. The girl can cover up halfway. But let's show off the boobs to the guy. Like, that's just fucked up.
1: Well- Don't appreciate it. Look at it like this from the other perspective. Maybe it's empowering that the guy gets to run around unencumbered by additional clothing, which might give him some advantage. He's allowed to show his nipples off she should be afforded the same opportunity, right? I mean, she shouldn't be encumbered by extra clothes. Just because she's a woman doesn't mean she should have to cover herself up more than a man, right? Isn't it fair that she can be as free, essentially, as the man is?
2: I think that's an interesting um, devil's advocate, but I think we all live in this current world, and we (laughs) all know how the female breasts are looked at with a very different... Perspective than the male breasts.
1: Well, the female breasts aren't hairy and gross most of the time. Uh, so usually people like seeing them.
2: I wouldn't and call your breasts too. hairy. I mean, I'm gross.
1: Uh, but you would call them hairy, right? They do have hair yeah, on them. They are hairy. Um, mm-hmm. It's really only because you and Alana gave me so much shit last week about
2: yeah, that's women sounded. covering up
1: in a gym mm-hmm. and men not having to cover up as much. So that's why I play devil advocate. I was really just trying to take y'all's point from last week, which was to say if a man doesn't have to cover up, then the woman shouldn't have to cover up either, and there shouldn't be this double standard. So I'm really just... ...arguing that if he's allowed to run around the island topless, she should be around, allowed to run around the island topless if she so chooses. Mm-hmm. If she chooses to cover up, she should have that opportunity as well. I agree. I
2: if they gave her the option, I doubt she should, had the option.
1: Yeah, she should have her privacy.
2: Yeah.
1: Anyway, brace for the segue. We've got an awesome episode for you today. Um, in a few minutes, we're going to be joined by a man named Remy Adeleke. Remy is a former Navy SEAL... That means he could kill me like seven hundred different ways, just using my own flaccid cock. Uh, he so is
2: don't fuck up on your intro.
1: I know, right? Definitely, uh, don't fuck around with this guy because he's a former Navy SEAL. He um, transitioned into being a actor and a speaker after his stint in the Navy. Killing motherfuckers, I'm sure he did a little bit of that, but. Um, he is now a motivational speaker. He's an author coming up. He's got a book coming out in January, which we're going to talk to him about a little bit in a few minutes. I'm really excited about talking to him, uh, because he's a wicked nice guy. He's actually just a a really, really cool dude. Um, and I'm looking forward to his book as well. That's coming up in a few minutes and I'm sure that's going to be kind of a more serious subject. So let's go ahead and, and get the fucking silliness right out of the way we were just a moment ago talking about reality tv yeah yeah it's one of our favorite things in the almy household much to my chagrin
2: yeah cuz you just said it's one of our favorite things it is things. it's one of
1: our favorite things it's it's a big thing in the almy household and i can say this unequivocally i did not watch reality tv <laughs> until i got involved with the likes of you <laughs> you you people.
2: Well, you're welcome. I help to um, improve your, you know, your life. I'm I not sure. Your eyes.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure improve is, is really the word that I would use. I'm not sure that that's the, the term, but I will say that I, I did not watch reality TV in the past. Even when in college I had a few roommates who would watch Survivor, they watched Survivor, and that was about the only reality TV that came on.
2: Real in- life. Is that what it was?
1: The real world. Real world. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. one of the originals. That's oh from my the 90s. God. Yeah. So
2: not to digress too much, but so one time, this one time at band camp.
1: Yeah. Um. You stuck a real world in your pussy.
2: <laughs> so I went to a and I had I've so. History, I've had mono in the past, so I don't know if that caused me to be more susceptible. Supposedly, once you get mono, you're not supposed to get mono twice.
1: Yeah, because you've built up the immunity, the the, uh, T-cells.
2: But but So I'm here to say that's false, because I've had it twice. Um, But so I went to- You're just that lucky. I'm just that lucky. But so I went to a rave, did ecstasy. Mm -hmm. It's like the only time I've really done that. Um, I went to
1: church and did ecstasy one time. Yeah. I, don't re- I don't recommend it. The blood of Christ, it's all, it's all very, it gets, it gets really psychedelic and trippy. I, I recommend doing ecstasy at a rave, though. Yeah. A
2: rave yeah. is a much more appropriate place. Much better. So, anyway, so I did the rave, or I did the ecstasy. I was up all night, ended up getting really sick, which actually I con- I got mono. Yeah. And so I was on the couch laid out and um, it was hot and I didn't have an AC in my apartment and I had a fever because I was just really sick. And I watched um, a marathon of Real World. Okay. And I was feverish. As one
1: does when one is ill.
2: Yeah. And I was so feverish. Just watch. Like I watched so much. Like I got sucked in. Like it was actually fucking with me. So I was like, cause I was so like, I felt like I was almost in the show, like their say- reality became my reality. Yeah. And I was like, damn, I'm just fucked yeah. up. You, would you say that the, uh,
1: <laughs> the illness combined with the ecstasy maybe had an effect on your cognition that would not normally have been evident, uh, and you wouldn't have experienced the real world like that if you hadn't been fucked up on ecstasy and sick?
2: I mean, it's possible that the... um, I don't know how long it was after um, I did the ecstasy that I got sick. It was probably within a week I got sick. Oh,
1: okay. So it's several days. I'm kind of imagining like one happening right after the other in sequence, but...
2: No, it was a little bit. So the
1: rave was really just there to get you sick once you were ill. Now, I mean, because you're not really still feeling the ecstasy. No,
2: but I mean, it probably has a, a little bit of a... A uh, uh, diminishing effect mm-hmm. on you, you know, when you do something like that. But yeah, I was fucked up. But anyways, so you, I digress. You got,
1: yeah, you got fucked up and watched. It was World. weird. I was and like, lo- your love of reality TV has blossomed. It, that
2: might have been now. where it started. Because yeah. um, ecstasy is the love drug. It's <laughs> and so it okay. caused me to fall in love with reality TV. Yeah.
1: So what I do want my audience to take away, or I should say our audience to take away from this story, is that you're a lot less likely to get an STD if you do ecstasy and just watch reality TV True. than you are if you are at like a rave with no clothes on. But it would be much more in keeping with the general theme of this podcast if you were to go party naked with the ecstasy somewhere at a rave. Go get sick. It's true. Go catch that clap. Get those crabs. Yeah, it's true. We approve.
2: We do approve. So, so back to our As
1: I was highlight. saying, yeah, before your wonderful story about ecstasy and the real world, um, I did not watch... Reality TV. Even with my roommates when they would put on Survivor, I would go do homework, I would go study. I wasn't I wasn't about that life. I ain't about that life. But I became about that life thanks to you.
2: hmm
1: So when we began living together, it was really unavoidable, right? I mean we only have one we've only ever had one TV in operation at a time, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's on the TV is what's on the TV, you know? And when it's time to watch reality TV, we watch reality TV. And I have to say, just in fairness to you, thank you. And to have the full disclosure. That's what I was
2: gonna say full disclosure. Full
1: disclosure. I have to say that I have begun to like several of the reality television shows. Mm-hmm. Chief among them mm-hmm. is the Bachelor-Bachelorette franchise. hmm Those to me are the best. And Bachelor in Paradise is on right now. Mm-hmm. Bachelor in Paradise is the best of the best. And I was praising you at the beginning of this episode by saying that you've become quite the little podcaster because after the last episode of Bachelor in Paradise, this most recent episode, you interviewed me. I did. Yeah. So let's just go ahead and Play that for everybody so they can see how stoned I sound.
2: Yeah, and he was, so, and he was sober and I was sober.
1: 100% sober. 100% sober. But
2: these are true feelings too.
1: But these are, this, this is true feelings in the moment.
2: He sounds like he's kind of fucking around, but he's very serious. I'm,
1: I'm deadly serious. I'm more serious than I've ever been about anything. I'm more serious in this clip than I was during our wedding vows. Fuck That's you. That's how fucking serious I am about reality TV. Bachelor in Paradise, baby. Till death do we part. Go
2: fuck it, go. <laughs> oh, no. Mm. Say, you were about to say that um, Bachelor in Paradise is the perfect.
1: It's the perfect reality show.
2: Why, Jason?
1: Because it's so fucking ridiculous and stupid.
2: Wha- why do you love it?
1: I love it because it's so ridiculous and stupid
2: and it makes you happy?
1: (laughs) Yes. It makes me so happy.
2: Are you sad it's over?
1: I'm fucking pissed. (laughs) I'm going to fight someone it's over.
2: Can you please tell the audience your reaction when you came (laughs) home? (laughs) When you came home and you thought I was watching it?
1: (laughs) I was mildly perturbed. <laughs>
2: what did you say?
1: <clears throat> I think I said something along the lines of, what the fuck are you watching?
2: And that, and then that what did you say?
1: I, I don't remember. Jog my memory. I remember saying,
2: what the fuck are you watching? And then you said, oh, okay, it's paused. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I was probably reassured when yes. I saw that the the program was not... Yeah, it was paused. That you'd paused it.
2: Exactly. So we could
1: watch it together.
2: Exactly.
1: I didn't want to miss that.
2: Yeah, so Mm. you were happy that I wasn't watching it. So you didn't miss anything? Yes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Okay. I'd also like to say that I'm glad that I know the passcode to your phone so I can delete this.
2: Ah, Nope. (laughs) Going to (laughs) Facebook. Yeah, motherfucker!
1: Yeah, motherfucker. That
2: was Jason being all in love with The Bachelor in Paradise. I
1: love your enthusiasm toward that clip there that Mm -hmm. you just made the interface, the audio interface, turn red
2: when
1: you you screamed into it. It didn't it didn't like
2: you might have to edit that down.
1: I'm gonna have to compress that a little bit. It's okay. It's okay. I can fix that. I can fix that, baby. I like your excitement, okay? I like your excitement. Not as much as I like Bachelor in Paradise, but I like your excitement. Can't wait mm-hmm. till next week of Bachelor in
2: Paradise. I just feel like it was a full conversion. Like you start off as a non, non-reality person yeah. and you love that show. And yeah. it's so cute yeah. when like you get all cool. excited.
1: Yeah. I was a complete atheist, and now I'm wearing the little black tie. I got the white button-up shirt on that's short sleeve. I got my little bike helmet, and I'm knocking on doors asking people if they want to join the Mormon church. I'm going door to door as a little Bachelor in Paradise Jehovah's Witness trying to get people on board with the whole like animals in heaven don't eat human beings and shit like that.
2: Mm. Could you imagine if we were able to get tickets to go be in the live studio audience, well, during one of their um, tell-all.
1: tapings. Yeah, the men tell-all, the women tell-all type thing. Oh, my God. Thing. That I want to do so the exciting. after the final rose. Let me paint a you'd picture be like, for you.
2: You'd be like one of the dudes, like out of 100 women. There'd be Jason yes, there'd be doing one, his, like, thing. I
1: would do my thing. Your fingers we would get. We would go fucking ham on this shit. We would tailgate that motherfucker. First of all, we'd, we would exhaust... All of our savings, we would spare no expense. We're flying out to that motherfucker because I think they record in L.A. I think so we're so. flying out to that motherfucker. We got tickets to get in there, but we're gonna pregame beforehand. So I'm talking Coke. about, yeah, and maybe drop acid mm. or mushrooms, and we're going in there high as fuck. I'm getting in every camera. I'm getting in every camera. Shit happens when you party naked, bruh. And every <laughs> fucking, every time they point the mic near me, I'm getting escorted out of there before the bachelor or bachelorette even shows up. Mm. And if they don't, I'm like painting. I'm going to do like the whole football thing where they, you, they paint their chests and shit like that. I'm going like, yeah, to paint like... Yeah, I'm going to paint like... One of my favorite, you know, Jordan's name across my fucking chest or some shit Love and whip Jordan. my shirt off when the when the camera points at me. I'm going fucking ham in his. bitch. I like that idea. I'm going to be the most... I'm going to have, like, the helmet with the beer cans on either side and the straws leading into my mouth. I'm going to be the most fucking insane dude there... Celebrating the Bachelor franchise.
2: I wonder if they'd let you in if you had all that like paraphernalia. You never see anybody with anything like that.
1: I think I would. I would blow it so far out of proportion that Chris Harrison would have to interview me. He'd have to come up to me with a microphone, and that would be my opportunity to yell. Shit happens when you party naked. It's a podcast. Download it, motherfuckers, and then just straight gibberish
2: until they believe me. Yeah,
1: (laughs) you go. You just run off naked. Yeah. Yep.
2: So you'd have to have a trench on or something.
1: I think that would be phenomenal. I think that would be amazing. That I can't wait amazing. to do that. That's actually my new dream. Yeah. Yeah. I had a dream of having a successful podcast, of um, you know, being a successful artist, etc. but fuck that. Maybe retiring one day, curing diabetes. Nope. My dream now is to show Chris Harrison my balls on A B C to
2: reek on A B C
1: let it never be said that I don't love Bachelor in Paradise, though. Um, before before we do get to our guest, and I know that probably the latter part of the episode will be a little serious because, of course, Remy's, Remy's life story, the, his topic of discussion, the stuff he usually speaks about, is on the serious side. I mean, I may try to crack a joke or two, but uh, when the guy can choke me out and break my neck, I'm I'm probably not going to fuck with him too much, so... Uh, I, I did want to maybe do our fun, kind of silly, mm-hmm. profane segment first. So um, I thought I would dust off a few internet acronyms. I thought that went pretty well. The first time we played, people seemed to enjoy. So we have a game, and if you've heard it before, you know how it's played. If you haven't, let me recap it quickly for you. My wife is not good with internet acronyms, the common acronyms that are used as slang to shorten up tweets or or in texts.
2: Because I'm not a millennial.
1: Because she's not a millennial. She doesn't eat avocado toast or take pictures of her food. She doesn't have a beard and she doesn't homebrew beer. So, sorry, Cameron. I love mm-hmm. you. I love you. Um, but she <laughs> she does not know internet acronyms. It's just not her forte. She's wicked smart in other areas. There's tons of stuff that she does know. Internet acronyms is not one of those things. So I have prepared a series of internet acronyms that we are going to play today. I'm going to present you, Christina, with the acronym. And then I, along with our listeners at home, will then guess whether or not you know or don't know the meaning of that internet acronym. If you're right, you get a point. If you're not right, you don't get a point. If Christina gets it right, then she gets a special Christina point, Mm -hmm. which is a high five, really. I'm going to give you the acronym. You're going to have a moment to consider Mm -hmm. while I answer whether or not I think you're going to get it right Mm -hmm. or wrong. Our listeners at home will, of course, do the same. And then you can reveal to us whether or not you know the internet acronym, and we will mark our points accordingly. It's all based on the honor system. So
2: let's go. I feel good.
1: You feel good about this? I feel, feel good. good about this. All right. So I like to start off a little easy, okay? So I'm this one's a underhand. This one's a real soft underhand, light pitch. But I want you to have an opportunity to start out strong out of the gate. I don't want to fuck with you right off the bat. So I'm going to give you uh, an easy one to start with, okay? Okay. This acronym is L M F A O. L M F A O. And I think because I'm starting with an easy one again, I don't want to embarrass my wife in front of tens of thousands of listeners. <laughs> so I'm giving her the easy one. I do think she's going to get L M F A O. I think, yes, you're going to get it. What do you say, Christina?
2: Do I, do I say yes? If, do you want me to answer that? I, whether or not I think I can get it?
1: Uh, and or, or just you say you can, the... You can just say the acronym. I'm just going to say the acronym. Or you can just say, or you can say, yes, I know this. It is blah, blah, blah. Yes, I know
2: this. La- laugh my fucking ass off.
1: Laugh my fucking ass off. Yes, you are correct. Okay, so I got a point. Anybody at home who said that you would get it, mm-hmm. they can also score themselves a point. You're one point close to that free t-shirt, motherfuckers. So don't forget to send me that email. So that was an easy one, all right? So they're going to get a little harder. They're going to get progressively harder. Mm -hmm. That's how the game is played, unfortunately. That's how this game goes. So the second acronym, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: this is a little step up, TBH. That is TBH. I think I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit. I know this one's a little bit more challenging, but I don't think you're going to get this one. I think... You're going to get this one wrong, and so I'm going to get a point by saying that you're not going to get this one. You're going to get this one wrong. Do you know the meaning of the acronym TBH? Also, one of the rules is that you have to guess. You can't just say, no, I don't know what it means. that. I'm going to guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like your uh, spunk. I like my spunk. I'd like to put my spunk on you. What does TBH stand for? Mm -hmm.
2: You look good in dress. You look better
1: on my floor.
2: To be happy. Mm, eh. Throwback?
1: Mm, no, you're you're actually colder with throwback. You are closer with to be happy. It's to, to be, be here? honest. To, oh, be to be honest. <laughs> So I got my second point. I'm two for two, motherfuckers. Yes, TBH is to be honest. I feel
2: like you've told me this one. Like, this one's from, like, I've seen that acronym, but I I haven't been able to remember it.
1: Yeah, well, we're going to keep repeating it. Maybe after this game, it'll stick.
2: Okay, let's do next one.
1: All right, number three. Okay, number three is even a little bit harder than, to be honest, because number three is not typically used in polite conversation. Your niece or nephew probably have not used this one in texting you, and also it's a little bit more of the internet subculture, so it's not one that like your aunt or your grandma is going to use. This intriguing, yeah, you know, no, it is. I'm going to enjoy this one. I, I'm really, I've been looking forward to this actually. This the third internet acronym is BBC. BBC is the third internet acronym. And also for this one, I don't think you're going to get it, unfortunately. It's too internet subculture for you to get. It's too, um, it's too bodybuilding.com. I don't think you're going to get BBC. I love you. And you better not get BBC. Let's put it that way. You better not get BBC.
2: Why would you say it's too bodybuilding.com?
1: It's, that's just kind of where the, the, the meme originated, I think. I feel like that's a At least in hint. my opinion. It would be if you actually frequented that forum, but it's like, it's like a web forum thing. BBC. What does BBC stand for, Han? Am I going to get my third point? I think I'm going to get my third point.
2: Um, be back, cunt.
1: Be back, cunt. I like that you went with cunt. Be back, cunt is wrong. <laughs> no, I like it. I love you it. you have In to fact,
2: bleep that out. You'll have to bleep that out.
1: I'll bleep when you say cunt. Yeah. I'll just put the little... Yeah. Yeah, because.
2: Okay, so what is it?
1: So BBC actually stands for Big Black Cock.
2: Oh.
1: Yes, BBC stands for Big Black Cock. So I was
2: in the. I was on the right track. Be back, cunt. I mean, it was still profane.
1: It was. It was very profane. The BBC is uh, like that's why I said you better not be getting the BBC because when you say someone's getting the BBC, it's like oh you're going to go to jail, you're going to get the BBC,
2: oh. you know you're going to get
1: you're going to get fucked. You know it's it it sort of became kind of this um, slang for like you're going to get fucked, but it's not going to be like this little white cock. It's going to be like a big uncomfortable thing in your butt and. He's not going to be gentle with you. He's not going to romance you or whine you and dine you. You're going to get the BBC. So the BBC, often people think it's British Broadcasting Company, but it's not. It's Big Black Cock. And I think BBC took it from there. I mean, I think BBC said, we like this acronym, but we're going to repurpose it to British Broadcasting Company.
2: I see. That sounds familiar.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I have one last one for okay. you. I'm three out of three. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good all right. I'm feeling just like a guy about to get some BBC. The last internet acronym is one that's become quite popular I think more recently in recent years. I don't think people were using this like five ten years ago. The internet acronym the fourth one is a F AF. A-F. And that one is very useful for shortening up, like, a text message or a tweet Mm -hmm. where you have a character limit. Do you think I'm going to get it? I do not think you're going to get AF. I'm very sorry. I'm sticking with my guns, you know? I'm hot, and you haven't got the last couple.
2: This is an easy one. This
1: is an easy one?
2: As fuck.
1: As fuck. Okay, well, look. You won that one. High five. Look at that. You got your Chrissy point. So... You get this look on your face that's kind of almost disapproving or like, what in the fuck is the world coming to? I mean, how do you feel in general about the internet acronyms now that we're wrapping this game?
2: Well, I think um, you should give me a little more credit that I would know AF. That's what the look is. So I'm disappointed... In your thinking, I wouldn't yes. know AF.
1: So you don't you don't appreciate my strategy in this game, which is to more or less assume that you don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think that's a safe strategy. Okay. Because this Cause whole game came about because I never know the acronyms, and yes. I always have to ask you what the acronyms are. Yeah. But AF feels like it would should have been at the beginning of the game.
1: I simply thought that you wouldn't know it because I don't think you've ever used it.
2: Like, no, but you've, you've used it.
1: Yeah. I'm sure I have. It's I convenient. Have. I mean, when you're limited to a certain number of characters, you're trying to send a quick text or you're trying to tweet and you're really trying to keep the, the length down. The AF has become quite utilitarian for expressing yourself with only two letters. It's It's quite good. And I
2: think because it is only two letters, that once I knew what it meant. That was an easy one to remember. Yeah. Okay. Well,
1: look, congratulations. You ended the game strong. I mm want to say you started strong out the gate with LMFAO. I had no doubt you would get that one. You ended strong with AF. So, I mean, obviously you need to To be honest. To be honest, TBH, what does BBC stand for?
2: Big Black Hawk.
1: Fantastic. Uh, So you don't have to Google BBC tonight.
2: Do you remember what ones we did the first time? I wonder what my retainment is.
1: Actually, that's a really, really good question. We did a few last time. I think we did three last time. And I'll, I'll just run these right past you again to see if you remember what they stand for. A little, a little uh, pop quiz. R-O-F-L. <sighs> oh, she doesn't remember, everybody. She's looking disappointed. We shouldn't have done
2: this. Roll on floor laughing.
1: Oh, you got it. Fist bump. Good job, wife. Okay, good. You got rolling on the floor laughing. I'll give you credit for roll on floor laughing. It's Rolling. I mean, that's really nitpicky. What about DTF? Down to fuck. Down to fuck. You down to fuck, girl? Mm. I knew that one when we did it. Down to fuck. Yes, you did. What about IRL? You got this one wrong, unfortunately. Yeah. You were pretty close the first time.
2: In real life.
1: In real In life. In real life. Fantastic, Han. Good Holy job. Shit. So you've actually retained. You just got Big all Black three. Big Black Cock.
2: To be honest, <laughs> as fuck. Laugh my fucking ass off.
1: I mean, just make sure you retain Big Black Cock. Yeah. If you retain nothing else, you always retain the BBC. Yeah. Must retain the BBC. Yeah. All right, fantastic. I think uh, we got Remy on the line. Let's go ahead and. Have a nice serious chat. Let's try to calm ourselves, try to lock it up, make a serious face, all right? Shit's about to get real. Okay, sounds good. All right.
2: I'm serious now. And then
1: let's, let's follow back up after we chat with Remy. Sounds good. I've had problems on Safari before with people like the the microphone not being enabled properly, but that's really the only problem I've bumped into is Zencaster until today. So I'm sorry about that. And I'm
0: sorry. Sorry, yeah, I just had to download it because every time I clicked on it, it was saying, you don't have, you don't have uh, Chrome. And then when I downloaded Chrome it still gave me an issue, so I had to copy the link and then paste the link into the new downloaded Chrome. So, so my luck, it's a guy
1: who could kill me 700 different ways when Zencaster messes up, right? I mean, like <laughs> we couldn't, we couldn't, uh, Zencaster couldn't mess up when I interviewed Betty White, but the guy who can kill me 800 different ways, the former Navy SEAL, right? That's when it has to mess up. I'm over here sweating yeah. bullets. Yeah. You're in luck. You're in luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I do want to say that I really appreciate you taking some time to speak with me today. Um, on our podcast, I mean, it's mainly a comedy podcast, but we, we have a lot of love and appreciation for veterans, and um, our, our charity of choice is Veterans Count. so we, we raise money exclusively for veterans and stuff. So I always love to be able to talk to um, just fun, unique, interesting veterans uh, like yourself. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Remy, you're a former Navy SEAL, Yeah, and if that's not enough, you're also an actor, a speaker, uh, you've got a master's degree from university of Charleston and now you're also an author as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's pretty impressive. I thought I was doing pretty good, but, uh, back to the
0: drawing board for me. I just try to diversify my, uh, my streams of income and, and just, uh, diversify the different jobs I do. Cause it, you know, when you do one job, especially after the job that I did as a seal, you know, you, if you work in one field, sometimes I can get boring. So
1: yeah, and it's cool to be able to talk to one single individual who has done both the special forces as well as Hollywood. It's kind of a, a cool, unique mixture in a single individual. A lot of times, you have to go to different people to talk about special forces or Hollywood. With you, it's like uh, there's just—it almost feels like there's nothing that you can't do. Yeah. Yes. We had to. So. I want to start by telling everybody as well that you're adding author to your resume. You've got a book that's coming out in January of next year. It's called Transformed. Yep. I want to remind everybody that they can pre-order this book at transformedstory.com. So everybody can go pre-order this book even as you're listening to this episode of the podcast. Um, and I was kind of hoping that this conversation would be like a good preview for readers to kind of get to know you and to maybe uh, figure out what to expect from your novel when it comes out in a few months.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it's a memoir. I wrote it hundred percent by myself. Um, I've been writing since I was a kid. I kind of talk about how I got into writing in the book. I won't give that away right now, but, uh, yeah, it kind of covers my journey. Um, uh, going from Nigeria, my father was a multimillionaire in Nigeria, very successful uh, at what he did in, in business and in engineering and um, worked on a project that he poured a lot of money into in the Nigerian government. They were very corrupt at the time and they still are consistently ranked as uh, one of the most corrupt nations in the world. Um, they stripped my father of everything. So we essentially went from from rich to poor and my father died um, in, in the midst of the battle, you know, within days of this happening. And so my mom, you know, not having anything moved my brother, not to the state. So I kind of cover that journey. I talk a lot about Nigerian corruption and all the stuff that happened out there. And then I spent a, a good portion of time in the book in the Bronx. Um, you know, what was life like there? Um, the things that I got involved with because I didn't have a father to guide me. Um, but also how I found that, uh, that, that environment was preparing me for my future, you know, as a seal, you know, uh, because it's a hard environment to grow up in. So, uh, but that was where my seal training essentially started, and then also having a mom who was really hardcore and uh, didn't pull any punches, you know. Um, having her, she was my first BUDS instructor. So I kind of really cover that journey, and then obviously, yeah. you know, getting into seal training. what's seal training like, and uh, especially from my perspective, because I don't think that there's ever been a, a book written by a Navy SEAL, specifically an African American Navy. SEAL. So just that perspective of going through SEAL training and, you know, starting my class where there's only three black guys in the class full of 250, 270 guys. And then, you know, graduating being only African-American in my class and what that looked like. So it's a journey story, you know. Unlike other special operations books where a lot of it focuses on um the operations and essentially the end result, you know, that guy's guide to the, you know, Delta or or SEALs or or SF or Rangers or whatever. My story kind of covers that that whole that whole journey. Um, so what you're saying
1: is it's good to be a millionaire, but if if you can be a millionaire outside of Nigeria, it's probably
0: better to not be a millionaire in Nigeria, right? Yeah. Well, it depends on It depends on what kind of millionaire you are, Uh, because you have a lot of millionaires in Nigeria who know how to work the system, who, uh, you know, they bribe politicians and they keep Uh, the the bad people happy. And so they stay, they stay wealthy for the most part. But then you have a lot of Nigerians in Nigeria who are, who, you know, they, they, they do the right thing and, and, and they don't get caught up in the mess. My father, unfortunately, he was, um, he was one who at the time there were some people who who was essentially jealous of him and and, and and he had had many battles with the Nigerian government. So when you're already uh, in that bad light with them, they'll come after you. And, and so, you know, he found himself in an unfortunate situation, but it's not like that for every, every Nigeria, Nigeria is a, for, for the most part, it's a, it's a civilized country. It's one of the it's, it's the wealthiest country on the continent of Africa. Um, uh, very modernized in, in a lot of areas, so it's not a ravished country. But corruption is systemic. Uh, to I mean, as soon as you get off the plane, TSA agents bribe you to get through customs. Wow! wow. Uh, and you, you, when you get pulled over by a police officer, you're going to get bribed. We had that happen on our way to the airport. So um, there are there is, Nigeria definitely has a lot of issues, but there there is a, a brighter side to the country as well.
1: Yeah, I did want to ask you. Um, I know you moved to the United States at a relatively young age. Yeah. I was going to ask what your early, your childhood memories of Nigeria were, if you had any.
0: Man, be, you know they're very, very vague. Um, um, I left at five, so yeah. I was going to say I don't
1: really remember much before three weeks ago. So five yeah. is going to be quite a pull. Yeah. But, yeah. but I thought just in case you did have kind of maybe more of an impression than a memory really, but uh, it seems to be something that's, it's prominently featured on things like your social. So I thought this is an important aspect of who this man is. And I was wondering if there was anything um, that you kind of take with you in your heart?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, the culture for sure. Um, and my name, you know, my name Adeleke, is Yoruba cause I'm part of the Yoruba tribe. So, um, and Adeleke means the crown is above. My father was a chief within the Yoruba tribe. So in in, in Western culture and Europe specifically, you refer for, for to royalty as king, queen, duchess, prince, that type of thing in Nigerian culture and a lot of other cultures within Africa the the term chief is used so um uh, a lot of my roots uh, in my name and, and, and who I was and my mom she always reminded us as kids you know this is who you are this is where you came from um, that stuck with me you know especially when mom used to tell my brother like hold your heads up you guys are royalty I know it doesn't seem like it because of the situation we, we, we're we living in now but the, the blood of, of kings and queens run through your, your veins so uh, act like it and walk like it so you know little stories that from here and there and then as I grew older more in my 20s I was able to reconnect with some of my family members um, who, who still live in Nigeria? Go back between London and Nigeria, and and and, and, and stories that I hear about my father are uh, you know they they're still with me. They'll always be with me. That's fantastic.
1: I um, I thought that maybe as an adult, since you were able to um, you know move around and see parts of the world, usually in the service, I thought maybe you had been to Nigeria since then to revisit the place, but. The Bronx. You probably spent a little bit more time there. Yeah. You you spent most of your years after five until you joined the Navy yeah. there in the Bronx. And it also sounds like you might have gotten into a
0: little bit of shit in the Bronx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of stuff. So, what what kind of impact did that have? Man, it made me, dude. It made me. It was just. It, it taught me. You know how to deal with people. It taught me how to you know when to trust, when not to trust. It gave me a lot of street smarts. Yeah, I think you know the job that I did in the SEAL teams. I was an intel collector, and I had to meet with locals, and um, I could immediately t- tell when somebody was lying to me, when somebody was trying to play me, because I grew up in that environment in the Bronx, where you you got to figure out people really, really quick. You know, and if not, you know you, you you can end up in a bad situation. So, man, just just getting jumped, getting beat up. I, I ran with a crew of guys, and we would make fun of each other from the time we were young all the time. And it kind of, <laughs> <laughs> if you saw us, you know, if you didn't know us and you saw us, you know, together, you wouldn't think we were friends because we treated. Yeah. Horribly, but um, but man, that really that really gave me thick skin and made me real real hard. So when I got the buds and I was going through the stuff, I was going through a buzz. I was just like, dude, I grew up in the Bronx. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> this is good prep for you. you no, know, this ain't nothing. I could take the beatings. I could take you know. I could take the name calling. I could take all of that. So yeah, man, the Bronx. You know, they had they're the saying if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. And I truly believe that that's true. Um, So so yeah, just prepared me in so many different ways. Um,
1: yeah it sounds like that upbringing that that's probably not the childhood that most parents would wish for their children. Right. I mean, but you wouldn't be who you are today without those experiences. So you are who you are because you went through that kind of thing. And and do you also feel like there's maybe a silver lining to that type of struggle that people go through that, um, you're almost forged in it. Like it's a, it's a good thing in the end.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, t- I try to tell people all the time, you know, we as human beings, you know, we learn the best through failures, setbacks, pain, you know, also mm-hmm. the situation. That's where, that's where we get our greatest learning lessons. And the reason why is because those are the lessons that we, that, that we feel, you know, and because we feel, we remember you know, it's kind of like that yeah. that thing. You know, when they they take the uh, they take the rat and they put them in a trap, and there's like an electrical current running through you know the fence. And as soon as the rat touches the electrical current, you know, he feels that pain. You know, chances are he's not going to do it again. And yeah, you know, I, that's that's what, that's what the Bronx did for me, and that's why I try to tell people all the time: don't forsake the pain. You know, don't forsake the the rejection, the failures. Don't forsake that stuff because. That stuff is just, it, it, it could turn you into a beast if you let it, you know, and I always yeah. tell people all the time, you know, as it relates to failure, which falls into that same realm A failure is only a failure if you don't learn from it. If you learn from it, that's a then it's a lesson and that's a powerful lesson. So, so yeah, man, like I, I'm so, and, and this might say, sound weird to say, but I'm, I'm grateful that, that my father died when I was young and and I ended up living the life that I lived because my father was married before he married my mom and, he had a lot of kids. He had a few kids um, who are older than me. And all of them, you know, they live the life, um, the good life. Um, you know, they all went to boarding school in London, very educated, highly educated. They, they they all very successful. They all have wealth. They all have money. And, and, and they had my father, but they're totally different people than I am. You know what I mean? I, I think that if I went the path that they did, I wouldn't be as strong as I am today. For sure. I would take a lot of things for granted. So I'm grateful for the pain. And the suffering and the loss, you know, because I would not be where I'm at today without it. Yeah, and I I think that's um that kind of quality of character that uh,
1: you're able to appreciate all of the just the bad shit that happens in life right. for the the good things that it can teach. Is I think it's a rare quality. Right. Unfortunately, I think um, it's definitely a reason why I was excited to talk to you today as well. Absolutely.
0: It's like, I'm, I've gotten to the point in life where I'm, I, I love the bad. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, man, when's something bad going to happen to me? You know,
1: <laughs> you know, why can't I have a rough day today? I'm, I'm
0: hoping for a rough day today when that alarm clock goes off. It's on. like, when's that obstacle going to come? When am I going to get punched in the face? When it, Because <laughs> that's when I rise to greatness. And I think that it is yeah. and, I, and I try to every day I strive towards perfection, but I, it's a good reminder, you know, uh, especially, you know, being in Hollywood now, you know there's a lot of setbacks in, in Hollywood. There's a lot of, you know, people in Hollywood who, um, who will play you, who will steal your ideas, who will, you know, just do some shady stuff. And and, and sometimes it's good. I, I mean, I had a really bad experience early in, in my career in Hollywood with a manager who was just a straight up ball but I didn't see it coming. And I, and I thank God that, that I ran into him and I had him play me and steal from me and do the things he did. Because through that Man, like I, I've 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 grown so much, and from a business perspective, I've gotten so much wiser to, to the game out there in Hollywood. So I'm
1: going to ask you in a few minutes,
0: kind of what advice you might have for
1: the the younger folks. But this is that's a really kind of hitting on on what I think is very valuable message. Prior to you joining the Navy, kind of you 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 had the struggles in the Bronx, yeah. um, even run-ins with the law, but then you kind of had a wake-up call that caused you to join the navy so um what kind of led you to go from from one side to the other from breaking the law to defending the nation it's quite a
0: 180 it was a combination of things uh i'll give you the first part piece because it happened a lot earlier when i was 15, when i was 14 um i saw a movie by the name of bad boys and it was directed by michael yeah. bay and it was in that film where i was like my eyes began to open into in a sense and i begin to realize wow like as an African American, I could be more than just a drug dealer or a rapper or, you know, athlete. There's more out there. That was a, because that was the first time I saw essentially two African American heroes on screen that I could resonate with. Um, and so, so that movie kind of inspired me a bit. And then a year later, The Rock came out uh, by Michael Bay as well. And it was in that film where, um, that was the first time I was exposed to Navy SEALs because growing up in the Bronx, I, didn't, I never heard about a Navy SEAL, what a Navy SEAL was or did. Huh. And I remember after watching that movie, I kind of decided if I ever turn my life around, that's what I would do. Um, fast forward. By the time I'm 17, I'm, you know, I'm selling drugs and, um, and, and and then, you know, that wasn't enough for me because I, you know, I was making good money, but I wasn't making a lot of money the way I wanted to. So by the time I was 18, um, and I, and I had a dream, I had a, I wanted to become a record producer and I started a record company and, and so I was using the drug money to fund my record company. And so when that wasn't enough, I started this illegal scam where I was bringing in, I talk about it in my book, so I won't give it away right now, but I was making thousands of dollars a week doing this crazy, it was more illegal than selling drugs, uh, doing this crazy scam. And long story short, I got involved in this deal with this drug dealer, with the, with the product that I was selling. And um, it was supposed to last for a significant amount of time. It only lasted for a fraction at that time. And he came to my house and essentially, well, not my house, my mom's apartment. And he said, listen, you know, if you don't give me my money, By this time, things are not going to go too well for me. I knew what that meant. I knew that you know if I didn't get him his money, he was going to kill me because I knew the type of guy he was. So I made him his money. And then for six months, I stopped. I was just like, I'm not hustling no more. No more drugs, no more of the scam. Like none of this stuff anymore. I'm I'm done. And so um, for six months, I sat home and I did nothing. And then one morning, I was laying in my bed and I heard this voice speak to me as clear as day. And that voice essentially said to me, you know, what are you doing with your life? You know, uh, uh, you need to get out of here. You need to get out of here by joining the military. And for me to join the military that was totally contrary to who I was because I hated the police I had run-ins with the police, um, hated the NYPD and I associated anybody in a uniform as a police officer. And so I literally began to argue with this voice. I was like, there's no way I'm joining the military. I like my, my hat's backwards and my clothes baggy. I don't like authority. There's no way I'm, I'm going to the other side. And, um, I didn't hear the voice anymore. And then finally, I just sat in my room and I was just staring at at my window and i was just like dude what else am i gonna do I'm like what do you, What else are you gonna do Remy? you don't have nothing else i mean you've tried everything else you might as well try this and that's when i kind of made the decision i was like you know what i don't have anything else so that's when I, I essentially you know ran down the street and said all right i'm gonna give this thing a try and see what happens and uh there's more to the story but i ran into a recruiter's office and and uh, uh She she ran my background. I had two warrants out for my arrest. I had a warrant in New York, warrant in New Jersey. And uh, when you read the book, you'll find out. But she was able to sneak me into the Navy, and that's how I got in.
1: And the rest is history, as they say. So I was going to ask you if you knew at that time that you wanted to be a SEAL when you joined the Navy, but it sounds like your experience with um, you know media as a younger person. You, you see movies like bad boys in the rock. Yeah. This gives you the idea that maybe there are other options for you out there. Do you feel like people's uh, limits are, are, are largely self-imposed or is there like a, does media play a role in kind of informing people what's available for them as like a
0: career path? almost? I think it's a combination of both. I think uh, okay. especially in the inner city, I think, you know, Well, I don't know. I'll speak for in general, just, just in general. Um, there are people, a good number of people who put limits on themselves. There are, you know, I I posted a post like a year or two years ago where I said, you know, and essentially it's simple and it says you are your only limit. So there are people who say, there's no way I could do this. There's There's no way I could do that. So you do have that group, but then you also have a group where they just don't have the information, you know what I mean? Because information is knowledge. And, 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 you know, like me growing up in the inner city, I didn't have the information about a Navy SEAL, who a Navy SEAL was, what a Navy SEAL did until I saw a movie. (laughs) You know what I mean? Whereas when you go to the suburbs, and I know this for a fact, because uh, as a SEAL, I was sent to different suburban areas and places in Orange County to go educate high school kids about the SEAL teams and about how they can get involved, you know, and, and that had been going on for a long period of time, but you don't have that in the inner city. So, so yes, the media helps. And then, then there's a merger. There's sometimes where, you know, the media give the information uh, about a certain, whether it's being a doctor, lawyer, whatever it is. And, uh, but that person is either going to say, well, I can't do that. Or there's a person who says, well, I'm going to try to do that but everybody's different.
1: I tend to agree with you that there's probably an interplay of of both the limitations that people put on themselves, but also kind of how they're portrayed as well and what the media shows them in terms of this is this is what's on the table for you, kid. You know what I mean? Okay. I, th- I feel like we're, we're, we largely agree on that. And speaking of the movies, now that you have been a Navy SEAL, you're on the other side of the Special Forces experience. Is there a particular film about... Navy SEALs or special forces in general that does the best job accurately portraying that experience or are they all kind of Hollywood and, and not to be taken too seriously?
0: Oh, uh, I would say, you know, it is. I mean, I'm speaking personally for myself. I'm not speaking for every frog, man, but um, I like, you know, I like Lone Survivor. I like the portrayal in that one. Um, American Sniper. I like that as well. Zero Dark Thirty, I like, you know, when the seals were were introduced in that film. Thirteen Hours, that was a good one as well. Um, So, yeah, there's a a few that I I like. And a lot of it is, you know, I know firsthand because... I'm friends with a lot of these guys, but there's a lot, there's a lot of guys who do the tech advising on the films to make it as realistic as possible. I'm actually doing that on a movie right now. I'm working on Michael Bay's new movie six underground. And I've been working with the actors for like the last month, uh, to get them prepared for, for their roles. So, um, so yeah, it all boils down to the technical advising and how much power those technical advisors have as it relates to uh, script. You know, changing changing phrases around in the script, and or you know, just how, how weapons should be held and stuff like that. So a lot of those films have had good tech advising. So so yeah, for me, I like them.
1: Oh good. Well, I'm glad to hear. I mean, I'm a type one diabetic, so I was never eligible for the service. So I have to watch these films and kind of think, well, it looks realistic to me, but I wouldn't know any better because I don't get to hang out with Navy SEALs. But it's good to hear that and it seems like that's maybe a more recent phenomenon film that they've they have a budget for technical advisors that they can then uh, have people come on and, and ensure the realism that, you know, maybe films of the sixties, they didn't really they didn't really pay historians to come and advise them on the, the re- Cowboys and Indians type of thing. Yeah. So it's good true. that they do that now. Yeah, yeah. So you speaking of the the SEALs and your activity therein, did you have a moment in buds or or um or really at any point thereafter that that was just uh super challenging, super grueling, maybe like an oh shit kind of moment. What was the hardest or most challenging thing that you dealt with?
0: Uh buds. I mean, buds sucks. You know what I'm saying? I uh I went through all the SEAL training twice because I got kicked out um, the first time halfway through. I made it through first phase. I made it through hell week. I got the second phase and I got dropped because I couldn't pass the swim. So uh, I had just learned how to swim right before I went to Bud's the first time. And I could take again, I could take all the beans. I could take the, I could take the, you know, the runs and all that stuff. But the water was a big, was the biggest challenge for me. i um, not growing up uh, around a pool where I'm consistent in a pool. Um, and, and then, you know, there they were evolutions where you had to you know swim with your hands tied behind your back and your feet tied together <laughs> so yes. being from the bronx who didn't have much exposure to the water that was a very that was a challenge for me and then also being you know african-american and, and um and, 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 you know, ripped at the time, you know, for a lot of muscle, I, 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 I couldn't float. You know, my bones. Were dead. Muscle sinks. I would stay yeah, muscle sinks. So I would sink to the, to, to the bottom. And, and, and so I had a lot of, I mean, the water was the biggest challenge for me. Um, and then the cold, because when you're in SEAL training, they really, really torture you with that cold. man. It's like, it's no joke. My lowest core temperature at one point was eighty eight point seven degrees I had severe hypothermia mm-hmm. um, and 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 at the end of every swim because I wasn't a fast swimmer I was in, in the ocean a lot longer than the rest of the classmates so towards the end of every swim I was either close to hypothermia or I was I had hypothermia uh, but I just kept on going but it was horrible it sucked so that was my challenge.
1: Yeah, So did anybody wind up with a thermometer in their butt? I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I'm very sorry that you had to go through that. And that's, I mean, I hope people really consider that when they're thanking you for your service. Yeah. The best thing, what was the best thing about being a
0: seal? Yeah. being I mean, just, just the, the people you work with, man, the people you work with. I mean, you, you work with the, the, the best dudes on the face of this planet, man. I mean, and I say that humbly, man, because, you know, every guy that you work with, they've gone through what you've been through. They've gone through buzz. Mm-hmm. They've gone through hell week. And, um, man, all of these guys are just top-notch, top-class guys, the best of the best from all around the country. So you build relationships and bonds with these guys that are stronger than some relationships you have with your family members. And and that was the, that was the best part of the job, was the, the guy to your right and the guy to your left.
1: Yeah. I thought you might say something like that. Having talked to a lot of the guys, that, that's typically what comes up is uh, the brotherhood, the camaraderie, um, the the feeling that people are looking out for each other, that maybe you don't get as much in the outside world. Also, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know we're running up on uh, the end here, but I did want to ask you one final question. Of course, I'd mentioned earlier... That I wanted to ask you about what advice you would give to young people about developing that kind of grit, that kind of uh, mentality of of don't quit, of uh, quitting is not an option, and learning from your failures. You know, they they just need to develop that that kind of mental toughness. And how do they do
0: that? Just got to go through hard stuff. I mean, that's the easiest way to, to, to. That's the easiest answer I can give. I mean, I think it's the most transparent answer to give is you have to go, you have to go through the hard stuff and it can be as hard. It can be for one person. It could be their homework, doing homework every night. It sucks for them. You know, they just hate it. They're not good at it or whatever. Or maybe it's taking tests. Well, just do it, you know, just do that little hard thing. Um, For some, some person is swimming, you know, they, they, they can't swim or they have a fear of swimming. Get in the pool, and do it and the, and build those calluses, you know, uh, those mental calluses so that when you when you have to do something hard, it's just it's not like impossible to you. Just like, OK, I did that hard thing. I did the hard test. I did. I jumped in the pool and that was hard for me. So maybe getting in the ring with somebody is is. is Will be as easier for me because I did those other hard things, so that's the easiest way I can explain it. And, and when you look back on my life and my story, you know that was my life, yeah. and, I, and I didn't even realize it at, at the time. But I was just always doing hard stuff. Yeah, you know, my buddy of mine was talking about this other day, sharing a story about me. But um, one of the politicians in the neighborhood said, you know, whoever can hand out as many of my flyers in the in, in the complex, you'll get a certain amount of money. And I was just like, I'm gonna win. And it was hard and I and it was seventeen floors in every building. And I just ran every building. And I ran and I ran up the up the steps and down the steps and to the doors and I just did that hard thing. Uh and and doing hard stuff just became more and more normal. My mom would make my brother and I write these reports, and that's how I got into writing. She would make us write reports and if we didn't do it right, she would make us do it again. And for me, being five and six, seven, eight, you know, and, and nine, you know, writing these reports sucked. It was hard, but I just I just got Used to doing the hard stuff, the things that I didn't want to do. So, if you want to build that mental toughness, you got to do the hard stuff. If you're always looking at the situation and saying that's too hard, I'm not going to do it. Then guess what? You're not going to build that mental toughness. You're going to be mentally weak. <laughs> you know, and it's just going to be natural easy for you to quit whatever comes your way. Um, and this is cool because this is something I talk about with my assistant all the time. You know, and we we're having a conversation all the other day. Brad, you know him. He's the one that's been yeah. playing with you and. Um, you know, there's something that I have him doing. And he was just like, man, it just sucks, man. I just hate, I hate doing it. I hate when you tell me to do it every time I have to do it. It just sucks. And I don't want to do it. And I tell him, I was like, dude, you know, yeah, I'm, this is the reason why I'm giving it to you. Because I know it sucks. But, you know, if you can get used to doing this, that's hard and it sucks. When other stuff comes your way, it's going to be easier for you to do it. Yeah. He's like, yeah, no, I know, I know. <laughs> and another thing about doing the hard, hard things over and over again, it, it really reveals to you who you are. It reveals to you how disciplined you are, how dedicated you are. It reveals to you, you know, whether you are mentally strong or mentally weak. It reveals a lot of things to you, you know, that, you know, just living a normal, easy life can't reveal. So I
1: really appreciate that message. I mean, that's something that I I also it resonates with me because I, I tend to believe the same thing. I have the same outlook. If I may distill, it sounds like, um, seek out the challenges find the hard stuff do the hard stuff yeah. that it's like a muscle it, the more you work it the stronger it will grow over time absolutely the, the challenging stuff will become easier and success breeds more success and that's how
0: a guy like you builds up such an impressive resume absolutely and another thing i'm trying to tell a lot of these young people as well is it's going to take time man stuff takes time in my book i cover 30 years of life you know, I, I meet a lot of people all the time and they just see the end result. They see me as a Navy SEAL. They see me as an actor. They see me as a writer and, and an author and all of these things. And in their mind, for some strange reason, they think that a lot of this stuff happened overnight. You know, I get phone calls all the time for some awesome jobs. I just got hit up last week for this big project with one of the most famous African-American actors on the face of this planet right now. And and, and I get calls like that all the time for different projects and people see that and it's just like... Well, that happened. I was like, no, the reason why I'm getting these calls and I'm getting these opportunities is because of the 30 years of kicking myself in the nuts. You know, I, I earn I these gigs. I earned this, this life that I live now. And, and it takes time, you know, nothing happens overnight, you know, and you'll see that well, whoever picks up my book will see that, that there were times where I had to literally, when I couldn't swim, I had to run to the pool three to four times a week. I didn't have a car. So I would, you know, and the pool was three miles uphill away from me. So I would run three miles to the pool, run three miles back home. And I did that. I did that three to four days a week for a year. You know, um, I couldn't do pull-ups. I couldn't do push-ups. I was weak. I was skinny. But every day I just showed up to the gym and just jumped on the bar. I did it every day, every day, every day. I studied my academics. I worked on my writing. I did these things for years. So now I've gotten to the point where when the opportunity comes, I'm prepared for it. But it took years for me to get to that point. So that's another thing, you know, as a, as it relates to mental toughness in life that I try to tell young people, everything is going to take time and you got to be willing to put in the time, put in the work and not expect everything to come to you Agreed. within a day or a week, just because you look good or just because you did five minutes of work or whatever you think you did, you know, things are going to, cause it's not, that's not life. It does seem
1: like a lot of people are waiting for a call. They're waiting for Ed McMahon to show up at the door with the giant check and say, You've, you're a millionaire now, but it doesn't really seem to be the way things work in real life. You do have to kind of get out there. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to be willing to fail, whether it's uh, ha- failing SEALs training the first time and having to repeat buds or uh, whether it's putting out a whole bunch of shitty podcasts before you get a couple of good ones like me. You know, it's, there's, there's always that risk. That you've got to go uh, and and just do, and I was very nice to Brad, by the way. So hopefully he wasn't upset with me. I tried to be very. Oh, no, 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 to no,
0: no, no 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 no. I was you. I'm just playing. Yeah.
1: I'll send him an apology note. I'll I'll write him a card and tell him how great he was. He was very very nice yeah. to me. I like Brad a lot. But you need to just tell him he sucked. <laughs> yeah, give give Brad a big hug for me. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell him he sucked yeah. later, um, but. Uh, Sir, again, I really appreciate your time. Uh, Talking to you has been a blast. I want to remind everybody to please go to transformedstory.com to pre-order Mr. Adelecki's book, Transformed. It's out in January, everybody. I can't wait. I've pre-ordered it myself. I'm I'm very much looking forward to reading it. Hopefully, uh, it gives me more like... Uh, material. It gives me more uh, thoughts that I might want to throw your way. And maybe I can talk to you again in January when the book is out and we
0: can hear how much of a success it was. Yeah, man, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's already crushing it, man. So I'm I'm trying to get people to do their pre orders because uh, if they want a guaranteed copy on that date, because like I'm getting a lot of massive feedback and a lot of people are pre ordering. So that's going to be a better. Yeah, and more pre orders is a bigger initial run and that's good for
1: everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to read the book, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. God bless, and thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on. Thank you. The honor is all mine. All right, brother. All righty. Have a good one. You too. Out. So really, like, what struck me sp- in speaking with Remy was uh, he's a wonderful example of somebody who goes from a bad situation from um, a place where you know, he doesn't have a lot and he doesn't have a lot of resources as a teenager, as an adolescent. Mm -hmm. And he's dealing drugs. He's scamming. He's doing all, he's breaking the law. I mean, he's, as a teenager, he looks like he's on the road to getting clapped up, getting arrested. Uh, He even said he hated the NYPD. I mean, he had a very adversarial relationship towards authority. How does he go, how does that person go from from that to to being um, an ex Navy SEAL, uh, speaker, an author with a book coming out published by Harper Collins. I mean, it's not some self-published shit. I mean, this is Harper Collins is putting this book out. This is a big deal. It's available on Amazon. It's available on Barnes and Noble. You can pre-order the thing at either of those websites today. So it just it really makes me think like, how does somebody go from one spot to another spot. I mean, how do you make that happen?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What are your thoughts? Yeah. Do you I, have any thoughts, I mean, uh, about yeah. that particular topic?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that is, I, I honestly think when somebody goes through some shit and they go through a hard, they go through some hard stuff, then people have, you know, one of a couple of options. One being, you pull yourself out mm. and, your experiences help drive what you do, and you know you have a lot of insight, and it helps you to have a greater appreciation because you know what it's like to be on like the other side. And yeah. it sounds like that's yeah. that's what where this fella is.
1: You said that there were two options. I mean, is there another option? Is there the person that doesn't have that wake up call and smarten up?
2: Well, they just stay on the same path, you know, and yeah. they keep. Either spir- spiraling out, or maybe they die, or you know. But unfortunately, they, yeah, they don't yeah. go down. And I, I think this this one resonates with me because I had some shit, you yeah. know, that I yeah. went through, and you know, and I had those wake up calls, and I feel like I'm still having those wake up calls. I feel like because of my experiences, I'm better at what I do because I have a lot of insight, and I, yeah. you know, and so sometimes it's hard to have those insights if you haven't walked.
1: And I essentially asked Remy if he would change anything about his past, if he would, if he had a magic wand, if he could take those experiences away from himself, if he would. And I I feel like he answered in such a way that he probably wouldn't change a lot about his past, including the hard shit, the difficult stuff. And I I guess I want to ask you that, too, is like, is there anything that you would change or do you also kind of appreciate the shit because essentially even though it was hard and it sucked going through at the time is part of who you are now Mm
2: -hmm. yeah that's an interesting question i mean you know like if you're able to turn shit around and and be successful and move past it yeah then i guess I mean that's a hard question. It I mean is. I guess if I could I mean some of the stuff yeah I mean I I would be okay not going through it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can I, Yeah, you know like well I, that's something I've been thinking about a lot the last week or two that I've been chatting with Remy to to plan today's talk and everything and you know I've thought about the questions that I wanted to ask him and I thought a lot about the nature of regret and I think that's that's what a regret is, right? I mean, you look back on something that happened. It doesn't have to be something that you did, but oftentimes it's something that you did. It's one of your behaviors. I regret saying that, or I regret doing this, or I regret being there or not being there. I regret the time I got arrested, or I regret... And I think that's the nature of regrets is you're like, man, I'm looking back now, I wish I hadn't done that shit. On the other hand... I think if you take away too many of those regrets, if you had the magical ability to go back and undo certain, certain key events in your past that you, you might not be sitting here right now if you undid too much, mm-hmm. even the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my thought is like, yeah, I got shit I regret. Of course, I'm human. Everybody does. But I'm not sure that I would go back and change too much because I like where I'm at now. And I think the people who really wrestle with regret are the ones who don't like where they're at now.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: How do you feel about where you're at now?
2: I mean, I like where I'm at now, for sure. You know, I think there's still some struggles, as you know, going on. Life's never perfect. Yeah. And, you know, I think some of the struggles I'm dealing with now is still stemming from some of the shit that I'd gone through, you know, in, in the past. So what kind of makes me think, you know, if somebody hasn't um, maybe come to peace or come to terms or gotten in a good place with, you know, the hardship that's happened, maybe it's harder to get to that place where you're like, yeah, you know, I went through that, I made it, I'm good, mm-hmm. and now I'm on the flip side and I can live with what happened but with just like the knowledge of I went through that and and I'm a better person for it you know which I think is sense sensible probably because I'm going through some stuff Yeah, it's hard to normally I'm like that and I'm like yeah yeah you know I went through some stuff but I'm I'm a better person because of it but I'm probably in the thick of it right now so (laughs) it's hard to be happy about it
1: yeah well I mean I I would say that I even I would take it a step further and even say that I kind of appreciate and I think that this is a a theme in in our conversation with Remy today too is that you you even have to appreciate some of the hard times that resulted in where you are today and, and what you have going on today. And so sometimes the shit you go through is kind of disconnected to what you're doing right now, and you think, well, It doesn't, you know, I regret that, but it doesn't have anything to do with where I am now. But for sure, the things that were difficult uh, that you you went through, but that put you where you are now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I reflect back on things like that was hard and it wasn't fun, but it benefits me today. That's kind of, I really try to look at all of the challenges that I've ever faced as being like, they've prepared me for who I am now. And as long as I like who I am now and where I'm at now, then I, I should try my best to appreciate even the shit. And there's stuff that just happens, right? I mean, like car accidents happen, cancer diagnoses happen. You know, it's just, it's not something that you necessarily asked for. But then there are, sometimes there are bad things that are a result of our own behavior. Like Remy said, he was the one breaking the law. He, he, he would admit that he wasn't, he was doing something that he didn't feel like he had much option. And he, he mentioned that as well. But then he's he will also say that, like, it's important to be accountable as well and say, mm-hmm. like, I chose to do this. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put myself in danger. For sure. I, you know, I try not to harp on about the Buddhism too much on the show, but, like, to me, I think it it feels good to be grateful for things, even the stuff that maybe you wouldn't normally be grateful for, like hard shit that's um, stuff that just happens. I mean, I was diagnosed with diabetes, and... It wasn't adult onset diabetes that I was fifty and I'd been living this this shitty lifestyle for years, and I kind of asked for diabetes. I got diabetes. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I kind of understand that like shit happens to you sometimes, and it's a disease, and there's nothing that you did to precipitate that. So um, I can appreciate that as well. But even then, I look at diabetes and I'm like, yeah, that sucked because that was super stressful, and I had to learn a whole lot of things about managing my my blood sugars and stuff. But then, on the other hand, in recent years, I've been really grateful for my diabetes. I mean, I've been really grateful. I mean, uh, being able to volunteer at Camp Carefree in New Hampshire and to be able to uh, like take part in that diabetic community of all these young type 1 diabetics, uh, mm-hmm. that's been like so just like emotionally rewarding for me that I, I, I have to look at that and think I would not be involved with that at all if I hadn't been diagnosed with diabetes. 11, 12 years ago. So I don't know. I mean, there's, there's other ways of framing that too that I think are like maybe healthy for people since you can't avoid all the traumas and all the shit. It might just be healthy to say, okay, well, what are the other opportunities that, you know? even though diabetes might've predisposed me to retinopathy, I've got retinopathy, uh, kidney failure. I mean, there's all these scary things that I'm gonna have to deal with one day, heart disease, et cetera that have already kind of started to scare the shit out of me, current health situations and stuff with my cardiomyopathy. But it's like I could focus on that and that maybe diabetes is going to cost me some years, but then I could also focus on like, hey, I'm getting some good shit too. Like there's some really good things that have come of it. I think Mm -hmm. even our relationship with you being a registered dietitian nutritionist, I mean, would we be together if I wasn't diagnosed with diabetes? I went to work for a health and wellness company because I was diagnosed with diabetes. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I met you there.
2: Yes, you did.
1: I mean, I can't imagine taking a path that would result in us not never having met and not being married right now. That's that's crazy to me. That is crazy. I got to be grateful to my diabetes just for that. Mm. So, everybody, thank you guys for listening to the show. I'm grateful for you guys as well. I'm really grateful for everybody listening to the show. I do truly mean that. I know I fuck around a lot. I say the F word a lot, but... Everybody that messages me and says they listened to the show and they enjoyed it, they thought it was funny, whatever, Uh, I truly do appreciate everybody listening. Christina? Jason? Let's try to be grateful for our shit this week, you know? sounds
2: like a good plan.
1: I'm going to be grateful for my diabetes. Everybody out there, think of some bullshit that you're dealing with and then just try to spin it and look at it from the other end and uh, try to be a little grateful for it.
2: I'll be grateful um, for not drinking.
1: Yeah. Isn't that that nice? How much money do we save? We bought some nice stools for our uh, podcasting studio. Mm.
2: Get my shop on.
1: (laughs) And speaking of getting your shop on, everybody, please, uh, go check out uh, Remy Adeleke's book, transformedstory.com. Go to the website. You can click a link to Amazon or to Barnes & Noble. You can pre order the book. Um, HarperCollins is using your pre orders to know how many they need to print for the first run. So if you want to get your copy in January when it's released, uh, please do pre-order that book. Join Christina and I in pre-ordering that book Yeah. Um, because I think it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to digging more into Remy's story and talking to him again in the future. In the meantime, everybody, we love you. Thank you for listening. Dick's out for Harambe, Google BBC, and I love you, Christina.
2: Mm-hmm. I love you, Jason.
0: <laughs> mm
2: Yeah, motherfucker!
0: I'm rising out the ashes See The way that comes my face A giant walking ball of blind love Turn to hate All the feelings always kept me down in dirt turned to rage Grab a rapper by his head And shred him up like a page I'm amazing Like yay was on 808 Saying heart breaks so my ex.